Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey everyone, welcome to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football here for Underdog Dynasty. My name is Cyrus, Join with me is Jared. Say what's up, Jared. Hey guys, how's it going? Great to be back. Yeah, it's been a while since we've been back and talking yeah, about Yeah, probably, probably too long. It's definitely been a, a minute, definitely been, but I'm, I'm ready to finally start talking about the season now that games are literally like a week's away. <laughs> yeah, and we actually have like practice reports from across the country to read and analyze and <laughs> convey, so that's nice. Very, very nice. It's just a great thing that football is around the corner, and now that football is around the corner, we're going to begin our preview series for the conferences that we cover here for Underdog Dynasty, and we're going to start with Conference USA, so this is just going to be a pod about Conference USA East Division. We'll try to get out the West Division for next week, kind of, hopefully. <laughs> but um, for oh, this we'll, we'll get it done, for sure. <laughs> okay. So for this week, we'll do a Conference USA. And the, the first team that's up that we're going to preview and kind of talk about is the, the surprise team of the year last year, the Charlotte 49ers. Um, Jared, who do you see as the, the most important player for Charlotte going into this season? Man, I just think the entire running back unit, it's going to be so important for this offense. You know, they have a pretty good, promising young quarterback in Hassan Klu, uh, but they're going to be very one-dimensional. You know, they have to replace both of their uh, leading rushers from last year. I think uh, Khalif Phillips is playing somewhere in the NFL now, so he had a few snaps last night. Um, So they're going to need to find someone who they can depend on for four yards of carry. Otherwise, you know, teams are going to, you know, play a a lot of pressure defense on them and, you know, force them to run the ball pretty much so you know Hassan is a dual threat quarterback so he should be able to back the defense off a little bit with his legs but it makes it much much easier when you have a good running back you can depend on for easy pickups I think with their offense too it's really generated mainly through the success of the running game too we saw that last year when they Mm -hmm. finally started to get wins in and being that I believe um, Lambert, he has that Wake Forest background. Back in the days when Riley Skinny was there and or, and uh, Wake Forest was really being successful and they were competing for ACC championships, the offense was really a, right, a run-based spread offense, and that's what we see from Charlotte. So I definitely agree that the running backs are definitely going to have to step up, especially considering that even though I really do like Hassan Klum, the passing offense still may struggle a bit given that I don't really like the talent that's really out there from receiver position. I don't really think that they have yeah. a bunch of game breakers. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I honestly don't think I can name a single wide receiver for Charlotte right now. Same. <laughs> yeah, off Same. the top of my head, I don't, I don't know. And, you know, a lot of, I guess in Conference USA circles, a lot of it, it falls back on, okay, Hassan Klu has to improve as a, as a quarterback, as a passer, but I think that he needs some guys to pass to out there too. And um, mm-hmm. as long as that's still a question mark, they can still, I feel like, be successful as long as that, like you said before, they have a proven core of running backs that can alleviate the pressure off of Hassan Klu running the ball himself. Yep. Um, for me, I think um, I like the fact that the most important position is a position that they had guys see some experience last year, and I think that's their linebacking core. With Larry Ugunjobi, I believe that's how you say his name, the huge, massive defensive tackle. I think it's 
Ogunjobi. Ogunjobi, there we go. Now that he's gone and off to San Francisco, I think that uh, their run defense could really be bad this year because he was a mm-hmm. huge, huge impact player for them. Yeah, I think he was the most underrated player in the conference last year. Yes, and now that Carrington King is the, really the lone linebacker um, who had majority of the starting experience for the Niners, um, we're going to need to see those young guys who got a lot of experience that were redshirt freshmen who are now redshirt sophomores kind of step up and fill the void for what the run defense may become. Because we saw a few years ago when Charlotte first got into the conference that um, their defense was really bad and they were getting bombed on consistently. And unless that reverts back to the way how it was before, before they made that surge last year, I think their linebacker core is really going to have to step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I, I think there's kind of a lot more on their plate without having that, you know, space-eating, huge defensive lineman out in front of them. Alrighty, Jared. So who do you see as Charlotte's biggest game for this season? Um, I actually think it's going to be their game at Ford International. You know, it's going to be a solid test for them pretty early in the season, on uh, September 30th. And I think if they come out and they play well and they win this game to start their conference play, I think that's their path to a bowl game. Um, they mm, don't have a very easy schedule this year. So I think if they can start conference play out strong and, you know, uh, beat a team that's kind of on equal, equal footing with them to a certain extent, you know, FIU will most likely be the favorite. Um, but if Charlotte comes out and plays well, that's going to give them a lot of confidence. And I think they can roll that into a six win season. I think the Niners definitely have the potential to go to a bowl game. I would hope that's not mm-hmm. what fans are expecting. Cause like you said before, their schedule yeah. was pretty, pretty tough. I mean, at Southern Miss, at Old Dominion, at Western Kentucky. And then their non-conference slate, there's some wins there um, with Eastern Michigan, AT&T, and Georgia State right before conference play that game with FIU. For me, I think their most important game is actually um, September 23rd against Georgia State right before conference play, the week uh, right before the FIU game. Um, I'm, I guess optimistically... You can say that they're probably 1-2 or 2-1 going into that game, depending on if they can beat Eastern Michigan in the opener. I think that mm-hmm. Georgia State game is really, really um, a tone setter for the season. If they can go into that game 2-1 and one, um, and then pick up that win, that third one, in order to get to that bowl game, they, then that gives them just three wins going forward. Plus, Georgia State's kind of retooling, rebuilding under Sean Elliott. So that should be a game Charlotte should take, considering they're much more... Um, have progressed much more fully into Brand into Brand Lambert's um, tenure. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a pretty 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 sound matchup as far as talent goes. I think both teams are in similar spots right now. They're both building building programs, building identity. Um, you know, Charlotte has had their same coach for a while, while Georgia State's on a new coach. But both of them are setting out to kind of define their culture still and still getting a grasp of what they're going to look like in the future. Right. What do you think would be a successful season for Charlotte? Point blank. Yeah, you know, I, I think realistically speaking, I think that you can go ahead and set the goal as you know, get to your first bowl game. Uh, but it's going to be tough. Not agree you know, with like that. Said, the schedule is very unforgiving. But I think the most important thing is for the program to just progress, mature. I think if we see Hassan develop into one of the better quarterbacks in this league, I think that would be the biggest accomplishment for them this season. Um, and they'll come back with an older team in 2018. And then I think from there is when you can raise the expectations, raise the bar a little bit. Um, but for now, you know, if they can get to the bowl game, great. But most importantly is just to continue to develop, um, develop that identity on offense and, you know, find a few extra playmakers on defense, especially along the defensive line. And I, I think that's really the key for them. 
Um, I think a bowl game is way over the top as far as expectations. Hopefully, Niner fans aren't really expecting that. I do agree with you as far as there needs to be still continued steps to show that the growth of the program is still really getting to the level where they can be, you know, you can aspire for Charlotte to be near the top of Conference USA East. Um, I would put the bar at four wins, five wins, just like last year. Just any type of signs of growth for next year being Charlotte's breakthrough year. Um, I would love to see Hassan Klu develop more as a passer. And considering we might see or we're going to see Mike White step away, Alex Magoo at FIU step away, mm-hmm. that um, Hassan Klu really does have the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in Conference USA next year. He's not at that level now, but this season should be a go a long way into solidifying the fact that Charlotte is going to be the team to watch next year as far as sleeper potential to win Conference USA East. But that's next year. <laughs> For this year, yeah, I, I think... I think Clue's, Clue's already shown he has the tools to be that type of quarterback. It's just the mental development, working his way into the offense, getting experience, which is what this whole season should be about for him. Right, right, right. Alrighty, so on to the next team. Um, as if you you know you can't tell, we started with Charlotte because they were picked last to finish in Conference USA East by the Conference USA media. So we're gonna go in that order and go with the sixth team. FIU was predicted to finish sixth. Um, brand new era for Butch Davis down in South Florida. Who do you who do you see as their most important player going into the season? Going with linebacker Anthony Wint. I just think that he needs to be a real force at linebacker. I don't know if he was preseason all-conference or not, but he was probably right on the bubble if he wasn't selected. Uh, but he just needs to set the tone for their defense. I think the offense is going to be fine. Butch Davis calling the shots. You know, They've got some quality running backs. They've got uh, the most experienced roster, I think, in college football, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, they do. So, most experienced roster. They've got what, a three-year, four-year starter quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they have a tone setter on defense that can keep them close in all their games, I think that... They'll surprise some people, and they'll win some games. They're probably not going to be picked to win going into it. I think, um, for me, the the most important player, I feel like, is the guy who's been there for a long time. We've mentioned him before. Um, Alex Magoo, he's, he's really had an inconsistent career at FIU. He's shown glimpses of being a great quarterback, really solid dual threat, someone you can rely on. And then he's had other games where he's had multiple pick sixes. Last year, he threw a costly pick six that... Um, in the Middle Tennessee game that kind of ended it for them. Now that it's his senior year under new leadership with Butch Davis, it's time for him to really play up to his potential. I was going to name Alex Gardner as well, too, who holds um, FIU's career leading rushing record, but Mm -hmm. I think Alex Magoo, it's time for him to really step up and take FIU to the next level um, as far as contending for bowl contention. They haven't really done that. Um, while he's been the starting quarterback. And he's mainly had to deal with injuries, too, a little bit. So I think um, that, that that for me, is who the most important player is. Yeah, and I think we're going to be in agreement on what the biggest game of the season is. I mean, this is a, a game that's always had some significance <laughs> within the community itself. Uh, but this is going to be the first year in a long time that the Shula Bowl is going to be a nationally uh, significant matchup. You know, I think it's a huge game for both programs. They've got to compete for dominance, you know, not just um, for on the field, but also for recruiting purposes. Uh, you know what? Hopefully the Shula Bowl this year is also significant in that it means something for Conference USA division as far as supremacy of who is finishing near the top of the division. It's definitely going to be intense um, with Butch Davis, Lane Kiffin, huge names. Um, I, I would definitely think that FIU has that circled on the map. There's been a bunch of talk for FAU all summer, all offseason yeah. since the hire, and FIU has that hashtag, 
you know, why not us? So I definitely think that there's a chip on their shoulder. And being that the game is in Boca Raton this year and FIU did win it last year, it's going to, the game is going to have a much, much edgier than um, previous years, being that the, the hype around it is going to be so much. Yeah, I can just imagine FIU's locker room is just so annoyed seeing all these uh, <laughs> Lane Kiffin stories and all these. Uh, they have a new hashtag now. It's the FAU. Yes, yeah, you know, kind I've of seen rip, that. Ripping off Miami. <laughs> so you know, if I'm if I'm an FIU player, I'm I'm pretty annoyed more than usual. Especially <laughs> since you know game. they got the trophy last year, and and it was under their interim coach at that too. So I know that FIU is kind of feeling salty about that, but um. You know, we'll see this year. We'll see. Hopefully, the for my sake, the Owls be able to get that Shula Bowl trophy back to where it belongs. But for the for the successful season for FIU, I think it's I think we're going to be in agreement on this. Um, they need to get to a bowl game. That's that's what I would consider a success. Um, it's FIU. A lot of people like you know we saw in that coaches anonymous poll that they have the reputation for just being bad, no matter who's the head coach of the program. But I think um, the talent is there. The experience is definitely there most experienced roster in college football this year. No excuses. I think uh, there's six wins on the on the t- on the schedule. I think so too. But uh, on the same side of the coin, I do think it's tough to expect more than, you know, six or seven wins since, you know, Butch Davis hasn't even had a chance to recruit the talent that he's looking for in his system. Yeah, so I think better things are on the way for FIU, but for right now, I think about six and a half wins is probably the benchmark for this program. Agree, agree, agree. And now that we've talked about FIU, we, of course, have to talk about FAU, their evil twin. Um, for the Owls, Excuse me, sir. Excuse me? That is the FAU? <laughs> the FAU, correct. Correct, correct. The FAU. Um, with Lane Kiffin there, most important player, a lot of people are going to look to the offense. Um, not for me. I think it starts with the defensive line and Chris Kiffin, his younger mm-hmm. brother, who's the defensive coordinator there this year. It has to be the defensive line. With the loss of Hendrickson to the NFL, the defensive line was awful last year. Despite Hendrickson's presence, and without him, mm-hmm. it could be even worse. Um, we've yep. had a huge influx of Power 5 transfers and Juco bodies on on the line. Um, from the reports of practice, it you know depending on if you have an optimistic approach on it, things are kind of better, but things were awful last year. So um, I'm not... I'm. I, in order for FAU to really succeed this year and live up to the Kiffin hype, I think the defensive line is going to be the the whole the whole key to the whole thing. Um, I don't know a name or or you know you can have a bunch of names, but it's just the group they need has a lot of names better. to step up. Yeah, they do. They really do. Especially playing in the East, where there are so many air raid, you know, spread up tempo offenses, you really need to be too deep at every spot on the defensive line, and FAU is a long ways away from being able to claim that. Indeed, indeed. Who are, who's the who's the most important player for you, Jared? Uh, for me, I think they, they need to have an answer at quarterback very soon. Um, I think DeAndre Johnson obviously has the highest talent ceiling of all three options that are in the mix at quarterback there. Um, although we just got a report in from practice that pretty much all three guys play terribly at yeah. their scrimmage day. So uh, if Johnson figures it out and he becomes the guy, I think that's the best outcome for the offense. I'm kind of writing their defense off. I don't. I don't see their defense being good. So if they can have an offense that can score over 30 points a game consistently, then they'll at least be in competition for most of their games. Uh, if they don't have a quarterback, their defense is still going to be pretty terrible. So you might see some real blowouts um, if they don't find an answer soon at QB. The thing that's really con- you know concerning about that is that 
you know, with with Driscoll and Johnson, both of them, like you said before, they they have the potential. You would think that with the names of Kendall Bryles and um, Lane Kiffin, both people who are considered in the college football world as offensive geniuses, that the passing offense really shouldn't be an issue. And we know from Kiffin's mm-hmm. days in Bama how he doesn't really love to run the ball as much, so that he wants to pass. And being that Johnson, Driscoll, and then Daniel Parr, who was a highly touted recruit out of Dwyer down in Palm Beach a few years ago, are still battling consistency issues with the passing attack and with Caleb Woods' departure from what it appears like he's still suspended indefinitely. That's really concerning going into the, the, the season. Um, hopefully, DeAndre Johnson, in my opinion, hopefully he steps up because I don't think if, if Driscoll comes back, I think it's going to be more of the same. Um, I feel like under two years of Driscoll, we've seen that who he is as a player. Um, I don't think uh, with either Kendall Bryles or Lane Kiffin is really going to change that much of him as far as his, his approach to the game or his skill set. Yeah, I mean, so sometimes that light comes on pretty late in a guy's career, but it is exceedingly rare for that to happen. Right, right, right. So for the biggest game for the Owls... Um, I'm going to go with the opener. Uh, I just literally bought my tickets for it this week. Um, nice. <laughs> Navy, uh, you know, primetime, 8 o'clock. It's mm-hmm. going to be... ESPNU, right? ESPNU, yep. It's probably after Miami um, and, and then after USF in 2007. This is probably the biggest home game in FAU history. Um, right. It's, you know, it's all eyes are going to be on the Owls. And then there's no high school football games played that day either. So it should be, it's going to be interesting for sure. It's definitely going to be a point in time where the fan base is going to have to put up or shut up now as far as supporting the football program. Right. And I can't wait to see what unfolds that night because I have a lot of questions myself and concerns about the Kiffin era. <laughs> right. And um, it'll be interesting to see how the Owls perform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think it's very important for FAD to come out and show people that you know they are going to be a competitive football program this year. That it's not just like the Lane Kiffin circus show, you know, kind of. It's had a flare of that through the off season. It seems like yes, it FAU has. has been in the news <laughs> for like more like goofy news items than like, hey, FAU is going to be a good football team this year. Right. So I think it's it's a huge opportunity for them show their potential. Uh, even if they lose the game, if they make it competitive and they look like a, uh, a well-coached fundamental ball team, then that's going to do them a lot of good. And it's a good indicator for the rest of the season. You know, obviously Navy's a great team. So Completely agree. Honestly, I just want to see a good game. I just want to see a competitive mm-hmm. game. I'm not really looking for a win, although that would be obviously great. But I just want to see this, you know, FAU produce a good showing. Navy is one of the best group of five programs out there, and they're probably going to contend for the AAC West once again. So a good showing by FAU in the game would be, would be really, really good energy to revitalize the program and show fans that things are going to be different um, compared mm-hmm. to the, the Partridge era. For me, the successful season... I'm kind of in a minority in this, I guess, speaking with other FAU fans. I need six wins. I need a bowl game. Um, three and nine, three and nine, three and nine. That, that We definitely don't have the talent, despite the issues on defense, to go three and nine again, or even four and eight. Um, I'd be okay with five and seven. Uh, I know that you might see things differently cause as far as talent on the defensive end. I definitely think the secondary with O.C. Rose is fine with him leading the way. Stoshak seems to be in the groove better um the transition to the 425 i think will benefit the defense a lot because our best players are in our secondary so that of course hopefully improves but i think six and six i think there's six ones on the schedule and i'll be completely fine with six and six and the caveat and keeping kiffin 
in Boca. <laughs> it would be suck. It it would be the worst if he leaves after one year. I don't think that's gonna happen. But you never know with Kiffin. So hopefully for me, a successful season is six and six, and Kiffin going into his second year. Uh, I think even if uh, FAU does fall below six wins, if they win five or four games, but they look like a good football team, they're fun to watch. They're competitive. They don't make a ton of mistakes. I think that's a great sign. You know, FAU has been a hard team to watch these past few years. They've been really disappointing and played below their potential. You know, there's a good amount of talent on that roster. So I think as long as they show themselves to be improving and they can keep Kiffin for another year, I think that's a pretty solid step forward. On to now, Marshall Thundering Herd, the the curious, uh, the not sure. The most, yeah, yeah. The most confusing football team in America. Yes, um, not sure what in the world to make of them going into 2017 after a dysfunctional, disappointing, heartless, <laughs> what other adjectives you'd <laughs> want to use to describe um, 2016 season where they went three and nine. Um, Jared, for me, the most important player, I think, is going to be Juwan Yuli, um, Juwan yeah. Young. I think the linebackers should be an, yeah. you know, amazing this year. They did lose. Um, it just came out today that they lost Moody, the junior, uh, junior college transfer, who was a three-star mm-hmm. recruit, um, who was making some waves in training camp. So yeah. that's only going to be— Probably was still going to be a backup, though, right? Right, right, right. I believe he was still going to be a backup for depth-wise, yeah. but— that's um that's a slight blow, but I think that you know the thing that we missed from Marshall is that their defense was really really good um the last three years before um mm-hmm. 2016 when they were just outscoring people, but you couldn't score on them either. It wasn't like Marshall's defense was um easily penetrable. So I think uh you know at the Miami transfer, Juwan Young and then Jaquan Yuli, who was a former four star five star recruit and Alabama commit, I think those guys should really step up and they're going to be key to limiting offenses because I don't think their offense is still going to be as great or productive as it was um, before last year. Yeah, most important to me is just seeing the offensive line gel and not only protect Chase Ledden, but also open up some holes in the run game. Their rushing attack was really, really poor last year. It's very, um, very unexpected for that program. You know, we all know uh, the talent that, you know, they recruit to that program and, you know, what they have stowed away. So it was very strange for the offensive line to drop off the way that they did. So if they're able to surge back and kind of become the unit they once were, I think that's the most important thing for Marshall in this season as uh, being two-dimensional in offense. Now, for the biggest game for Marshall, looking at their schedule, you know, it's like there's not – I don't see too many losses. Like I don't see any game where you can for sure – Count Marshall out. Their non-conference schedule is Miami of Ohio at NC State, mm-hmm. home against Kent State, and then at Cincinnati, and then that's you know that before they go into conference play. I don't see any of those four games as like completely you know sure wins or sure losses. So mm-hmm. I, I chose for them the biggest game is the the Moonshine Throwdown. Shout out to those guys on Twitter, Moonshine Throwdown um, against Western Kentucky. I think that the you know, for the second straight year during due to the scheduling quirk with UAB coming into the schedule, they get to host the tops. And after last year's beatdown, just where they just didn't look like they even cared to even show up, I in Western Kentucky's recent tradition of being the best program in Conference USA, that's a that's a huge game for Doc Holiday because I think that with Mike Sanford there, 
it, it, it shows the dichotomy of the two programs as far as where who Western Kentucky, they view themselves as an upstart program who has no problem transitioning coaches and use, being used as a step, stepping stone. But for Marshall, where the tradition and you know their placement of who they view themselves in group of five football and college football in general, Doc Holliday needs to have a great showing this year and in that game particularly to solidify that Marshall is in fact the best team in Conference USA East. Yeah, I had a hard time picking most uh, most important game for this program because I have no idea how good or bad they're going to be. Um, on one hand, I'm not going to be surprised if they're even worse than last year. Uh, but on the other, given the historical success of the program, it would be shocking. So I, I have no clue. You know, um, The game that I did pick, though, was the Old Dominion game. There's been a lot of talk of, you know, the upstarts and Conference USA are kind of starting to uh, gain in prominence, you know, be more competitive against, you know, some of the uh, the original members of Conference USA or just the ones that have been there for a while. So I think if Marshall comes out against um, Old Dominion and they kind of reclaim their dominance, you know, reclaim their position in the East, I think that would go a long way to getting Marshall back to where they need to be. And I, I think that's a win that, you know, if Marshall pulls it off, they probably finish second or third in the East, which is a big step forward from where they were last year. Nice, nice, nice. So what do you see as a winning season or de- a definition of success for Marshall fans? Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, this, I mean, is, this is a tough it's one. It's hard to imagine Marshall fans being pleased with anything better than like <laughs> seven and five. And they only won like three games last year. But that's just how Marshall is. I think it's healthy to have those expectations. Um, so I... I find it hard to believe that they're going to have a quote-unquote successful season going by the standards that they hold themselves to there. Yeah, I so. agree. I think 7-5 um, and five is the bar minimum that Marshall fans would accept, and I don't even think they'd be necessarily mm-hmm. happy with that if it doesn't come with a right. uh, division title. I right. think 7-5 and five is the low bar. Um, do you think 7-5 do- buys Holiday another season? Yes, that's right, exactly where I was going. Do you think 7-5 yeah. and five would give Holiday another season? I think so. I think no. anything less and he's gone. Right. Uh, six and six and they win a bowl game. Maybe he sticks around. You know, if the recruiting picks back up, I know they, they've kind of been in a lull a little bit um, compared to past recruiting cycles. Um, so I think if they hit a bowl game, recruiting picks up, you know, they look like they're getting back on track. Maybe he sticks around another year. But seven and five, I think he'll be he'll be set. All righty. So now we transition now that we've left, you know, the bottom of Conference USA East, so to speak. Now we get into who we believe will be genuinely the contenders for the division crown this year. And I've said this before. Um, I know that, we're, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and jump the gun. We're on O-Dominion, and I'm telling you guys, O-Dominion is going to win the Conference USA East. I know that I've caught a flag for it, but I'm... I'm You're huge, not confident? <laughs> I'm not confident. I'm not oh, okay. confident. <laughs> I think the Monarchs are going to win, and I think the most important players or position group for the reason why I have so much faith in the Monarchs is their running backs. I know that they're bringing in a new, they're going to have a new starting quarterback this year. But man, I just love their running backs. I love their offensive line. I love their whole mentality under Bobby Wilder. And I think that, you know, before we've seen under Wilder when they had Taylor Henneke as the quarterback, they were a really air raid offense. And then it kind of transitioned under David Washington where they were yeah. kind of more of a run heavy based offense. I think it doesn't. Yeah, started using their tight ends more. Exactly. And I think that given that the their success of Cox and Lowry in the backfield, I don't really think they need great quarterback play to win games in Conference USA. And so as long as Cox and Lowry stay healthy, I think Old Dominion will be just fine um, going further in uh, the league this year. What about you, Jared? How do you see things? 
Yeah, so I think they, they're strong enough at so many positions that I think they're going to be, at worst, third best team in the East. Um, but if they're going to win the division, I think they're going to have to have a quarterback that plays about as well as Washington did last year. So, you know, I think there's a lot on Jordan Hoyer's shoulders. Sounds like he's doing pretty well in, in uh, fall camp here. Um, so if he's able to, you know, pass for 60-65% completion rate, avoid interceptions... I think the Monarchs are in a great spot to win the whole division and maybe win the whole conference too. But I, I think that they do need a playmaker there. I think they more than more than anything else just need someone who can avoid mistakes. Alrighty. So for the schedule, what are you seeing as the the, the biggest game of the year? I think uh, their home game against Western Kentucky, October twenty first. I know they sell out all their games, but that's probably going to be the most energized their fan base will be for a home game in quite a while. I mean, that's a pretty open and shut case. If they're going to win Conference USA. Um, or at least their division, they have to beat West Kentucky at home. Yep, that's the that's the team to beat. I completely agree. Definitely after last year's poor performance where they both came in with really, really good uh, conference records and then Western Kentucky just blew them out. And even even had a, a little melee going in, so there's bad blood right, between I forgot about teams. that, yeah. So I think that, that that's definitely uh, the game of the year for the Monarchs this year when Western Kentucky comes to town. They should be 2-0 in conference play with uh, FAU and then Marshall the week before so I expect them to be 2-0 going into that game and that's really the, the huge tone setter for the season if they can get through that game and go 3-0 then I think they're going to win the East so mm. that to me is the game of the year for the Monarchs as far as expectations I think anything less than a first or second place finish is a, is a disappointing year for them um, mm-hmm. a, a win over a Power 5 program whether that be North North Carolina at home, which would be tremendous, or on the road against Virginia Tech, which would be another monumental win for the program, uh, would be great. But I think really it's just this is their window. They have an extremely senior-latent team this year, and there's no telling what the future of Conference USA is going to look like a year or two years from now, now that the South Florida schools seem to be getting their act together. Western Kentucky seems to be still a viable team going into the future. You know, it's just a lot of things in flux in the future. This is their window now, and I think this is the season where we should and expect them to win Conference USA East. Yeah, I agree. I think the bar's been set for this program. If they don't win the East this year, then I think the uh, momentum of the program will slow down quite a bit. So I think anything less than a division championship would be a disappointment. Cool, cool, cool. Speaking of disappointment, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Blue Raiders, (laughs) Middle Tennessee, the next team up. Predicted to finish second this year. Um, they've had disappointing bowl games. We can say that they haven't really done too well in the postseason. Yeah. Um, Tennessee's on deck. Most important player um, is probably their best player. We've seen what they were like without him. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it's Brent Stock. Still, he's the team. He's the. I think he's the heart of the team. We've seen when you know when the Roadrunners took him out and saw how they performed. Granted that John Urza, he was a redshirt freshman. It didn't seem like they had that flair, that energy. Uh, I think he's the most important player, and I think he's honestly a, the best quarterback in Conference USA. And as long as he's upright, I think Middle Tennessee has a chance in just about every game this year. Yeah, there's no doubt that Middle Tennessee is going to go as far as Stock still takes them. I'm not going to deny that. But if I had to pick a most important player, I think I'd pick Walter Brady. He's their uh, transfer defensive end. Um, I think he was all SEC freshman in his freshman year at Missouri. Uh, really, really disruptive player along the defensive line. You know, his havoc rate was super, super high. So if that guy can emulate his success as a freshman in the SEC and at Conference USA level, which by all means he should be able to do, 
I think that's going to go light years towards getting this defense to where they need to be. You know, they've always lagged behind on defense compared to their offense. Um, so if Brady can lead the charge and, you know, they have a new defensive coordinator, I think, from Syracuse. Uh, so if they can get their act together on defense, I think that really you know, will catapult them to being the best team in the East. Yes, I think that that's another cute, uh, huge thing that you just brought up with Scott Schaefer, Syracuse's former head coach and now Middle Tennessee's defensive coordinator. He had some great defenses um, when he was the head coach at Syracuse. And now that he's coming over to kind of rebuild his name and trying to get back into the coaching game, that's really where Middle Tennessee's, I feel like, season is going to be decided. Um, if Scott Schaefer can really turn around the defense as quickly as he can, then Middle Tennessee is probably the most complete team in the league, but that's a huge if. Their defense is not Yeah, that's a big, big well. undertaking for sure. Right, yeah. Their defense is definitely underperformed um, throughout Stockstill's tenure, really, in my opinion, even dating back to their Sunbelt yep. days, um, since that one year with Diaz. So that's, that's our most important players. For the biggest game, I think we're both going to agree on this. It's going to be just like Marshalls, just like O'Dominions, Western Kentucky. <laughs> yep. Hey, if you want to beat be the champ, you got to beat the champ. A hundred miles of hate. They came really close last year into getting it, and then of course they were nipped by a point, I believe, in overtime at home at that disappointing game. You know, with Middle Tennessee, is I feels like there's just that that feeling of like they just can't quite get over the hump. And this has been the they're team. All, that, they're always right there. You know, they're always so close. Right. Just and, never get over it. And with Western Kentucky late in the year at that um, right be- right before the you know the, the stretch against Old Dominion, that's really going to decide Conference USA East. Really, I think those two games at Western Kentucky and then home against Old Dominion to close it out. So for me, I'm going with the tops. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So what what would you say is a successful season for them? Um, it has to be a division championship, Conference USA East championship yeah. game appearance at the least. Um, we've seen they've gotten the Power Five upset last year against Mizzou. Uh, they haven't really done well in bowl games, so you'd like to see that change a bit. But they need to get over the hump with Stocksdale running the program. They've been hitting their head on this glass ceiling for the past few years, and now it's time for them to finally get through. And anything less than a Conference USA East division title and a championship game appearance would be a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine Middle Tennessee fans are just satisfied to win seven games every year. You know, that's kind of where they plateaued at. So I, I think they need to take that next step this year. Now is a good season to do it. You know, there's a lot of instability in the division. And like we mentioned earlier, it seems like things are going to change. You know, Florida schools are getting their acts together. Um, the Texas schools are getting a lot stronger in the West, too. So um, there's a window of opportunity there. And, I mean, it just seems like if they don't do it now, then it seems like they're kind of stuck, um, stuck where they're at. So I think they, you know, just need to pull, pull all the pieces together. They're so close every year. Now's the time. Yep, now is the time. And now for the last team, Conference USA, the team that has been owned Conference USA pretty much for the last two years and Conference USA Twitter, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers, um, have the Mm -hmm. new coach coming in. Jared, who do you see as their most important player? So I picked Matt Nord. He had some quality snaps as a reserve of Lyman last year. He's got an offensive tackle. Uh, but really, I could have picked anyone on the offensive line. They need someone to come step in, replace Forrest Lamp. And, you know, West Kentucky's had probably the best offensive line in the conference the past couple of years. So um, they really, really need someone who's as good as Forrest Lamp, <laughs> which is asking a ton. <laughs> what was he, like a third-round draft pick, I think? Yeah. But um, 
regardless, if they don't have as good of an offensive line, it's really going to make their uh, their play on offense drop. You know, Braun was so important to that offense. He's such a creative play caller. His play designs were crazy. Um, sometimes I would watch him like rattle off a trick play, and I would rewind it and chart out like what everyone was doing on that play. And it's like, man, this guy's awesome. He's so creative as a play caller. Um, so I, I think Sanford's going to be a good coach, but in his first year as a head coach, I don't know if he's going to have that big of an impact leading that offense. Um, it's just, it's a lot to ask for a first year coach. So, um, I think they need the offensive line to be really, really strong to kind of make up for losing Brom's play calling ability and, um, you know, all, all the other losses they had on their offense. I think for me, um, I agree that with Matt Nord at the offensive line, he's touched into some huge shoes, but he's, you know, hopefully he's able to hold his own there. They just lose so much on offense that you kind of figure that they should or maybe not step back. But, you know, one of the experienced playmakers that is there who just hasn't been able to shine so much, and he's my most important player, is Nicarius Fant. Um, now that you have mm-hmm. Ace Wells gone and other familiar faces from that team from the past two years, it's now his time to step into the stop, um, you know, step into the light as a go-to wide receiver, go-to receiver for um, Mike White. So I've, that's who my most important player is. Um, yeah, so what do you see as the biggest game for the Hilltoppers this year? Biggest game for the Hilltoppers. Um, depending on you know whether you see their goals are as far as whether you think they can compete for a group of five bowl bid. You know, that game against, who do they believe? Let me see. Let me pull it up. They play against who the first week in conference schedule. Great potting right here. Um, <laughs> so prepared. Yeah, so prepared. So prepared. Let's see. Alrighty. So they play against Illinois week two and then Vanderbilt uh, later on in the season. Uh, the biggest game, I guess, for me, I'd probably have to say Louisiana Tech um, that early in the year. Uh, you don't want to get behind the eight ball, behind other teams who are probably won't even, haven't even started conference play just yet. Uh, to me, that's going to be the biggest game for the Hilltoppers. If they can really get past Louisiana Tech that early in the season, given the coaching transition, then it's safe to say that they're more than likely going to win Conference USA East again. I think Western Kentucky can bounce back if they lose that game to Louisiana Tech, but it's going to send a big message either way, right? If I had to pick the most important, though, I'd probably pick Middle Tennessee. It's uh, right around the end of the season. Uh, what is that? 18th of November for them. And I'm just assuming Middle Tennessee is going to be in the hunt at that point. You know, we'll already know if Old Dominion is going to be uh, in the picture or not that late in conference play. Um, but assuming that Middle Tennessee is still hanging around, Western Kentucky is going to need to shut them down in their uh, in their postseason hopes for uh, for conference championship. So they just uh, have to be consistent throughout the season and then knock off Middle Tennessee, and they should be set, ready to go. Man, that November stretch is really, really ridiculous. It's going to be crazy. Crazy. They have at Vanderbilt, then at Marshall, home against Middle Tennessee, and then they go to South Florida to take on the Panthers. That line is pretty well. But I don't, I don't think um, the top should beat them. <laughs> if they beat, yeah. if they lose to them, that's a red flag. Uh, they, uh, under, exactly. Yep. Under Brom, they would probably crush them. So. Right, of course. All righty. So, so now that the two teams, now that the teams are all done, um, here I've told you my pick earlier in the pod. I think that Old Dominion is going to take it. What about you? Who, who do you think is going to win Conference USA East? Last night I was prepping for this podcast, and I think I typed a paragraph and deleted it probably four times. <laughs> it's tough, dude. It's tough. If Old Dominion had a for sure go-to, we can trust this guy quarterback, Old Dominion is the easy pick for me. I think they're the best team defensively. 
Um, I think they had the best offensive line in the division, and, and they've got great running backs. But quarterback is such an important position in all of sports. So it's tough. You know, I think they're going to be well coached, and that's what is putting my gut instinct to pick Old Dominion to take the division. Hey. I, I do think. Yeah, I know. I know. We're gonna, we might look like idiots a few months from now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we're definitely going to hear from it on Twitter for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I just. I think Western Kentucky is going to drop off. You know, it's it's nothing against Sanford, but there's such a high standard right now for that program. Um, they can win 10 games and have a great season, and that would still be a disappointment. So that's just kind of where Western Kentucky's at right now. Um, so it's a lot of pressure there. You know, we got to see what Sanford's like under the bright lights. Um, and then Middle Tennessee, I'm just I'm not confident enough in their defense to be able to pick them as the division champ yet. So while Old Dominion has big question marks. Question marks are a little bit smaller in stature than the other programs. We know that they're well coached. We know they have a strong defense. It's just finding that quarterback. Yeah, ultimately, I I just like the the staff continuity. That's that's really the reason yeah. why I'm going with the Monarchs. Had Brahms stayed there, um, I w- and honestly, in my opinion, I think he should have. He could have waited out for a much better job than Purdue. But that's another question. But I think um, with top, with the with WKU and the new coaching transition. You know, I think that's a lot to expect a first-year head coach to come in and just win the conference again. Um, you don't right. really see expectations like that at the group of five level, um, mm-hmm. much less even in some cases not even at the power five, you know, with the bigger schools. And that's why I'm really going with Bobby Wilder and, um, you know, their coaching staff. They've really got something special there. Their roster has really, really been fine. They've really been recruiting well. And I just think it's their time. I think that, that like you said before, that that game against – Western Kentucky, when they're hosting, we're really going to see what the Old Dominion crowd is like as far as we know that they've selling out games, but that should be a really intense atmosphere, and it should be one of the better right. games of Conference USA this season. Yeah, I agree. All righty, so that wraps it up for us from our Conference USA East pod. Please, please, please leave us reviews on iTunes. Just subscribe on iTunes if you can. Um, we, we plan on actually doing something where we might read you guys' re- uh, reviews on here, good or bad. Um, hopefully it's mainly good. <laughs> hopefully good. Yeah, but um, leave us reviews, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, please, because we do, do get graded on that, actually. <laughs> yep. Um, and you can follow me, Cyrus, at CoolSciWrites. Cool side rights, and then Jared. I messed up your your Twitter handle last time. You, you can yeah. So it, it's at Jared UTSA. <laughs> at Jared UTSA. There you go. So yeah. that's it from us, everyone. Have a great weekend, and we'll speak to you guys next time. All right, take care, guys.